Amen. Amen, 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 amen. We're going to be in John chapter 6. We're going to be in John for several weeks. Several weeks looking at the I am statements of Jesus. Seven times Jesus says, I am something in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at all those and possibly a couple of other places where he makes some fairly declarative statements about himself. So we're going to spend some time here. So John chapter 6 is where we'll be very soon. The one reminder, the one announcement that I had to make for sure this morning that I set my reminder for, I forgot to tell you when we first started. Um, So that's how that goes. But um, So many of you know, most of us know, some of you may not know, but we start in 2015, uh, we went to Kentucky and did several things on a, in a mission trip there in Kentucky, and one of the things we did was build a wheelchair ramp, and on the way home, we were like, light bulb moment, we can do this at home. We don't have to drive to Kentucky to do this. We can do this at home. So since 2015, we have started building wheelchair ramps for people in the community that uh, need them, that are in need, and um, it's just kind of a non-official process the way that happens the Lord just kind of provides it and it just kind of happens Um, and so recently we did one in Plainview uh, for Mr. Jim McCoy and uh, he has told us multiple times please make sure your church knows how appreciative I am for that ramp so I'm making sure that I tell you this morning that Jim McCoy is very thankful for that ramp and he wanted the church to know that he said, thank you for giving to that. Thank you for serving and making that happen. Um, and the truth of the matter is, we have a lot of fun doing them. So it's a great time. So we, I, I, I'm thankful every time we get to do one. It's a blast um, making fun of each other and whatnot. So just glad to do all that stuff together. <laughs> Isn't that right, Redug? Yep. Anyway, <laughs> looking at the first I am statement of Jesus here in uh, John chapter 6 this morning, verse 35. Join me there if you have your copy of the word. If you don't, it's on the screen. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, And the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Quite the statement Jesus makes about Himself. And I said already, and I'll say again, seven times in the Gospel of John, and that's no accident that John made sure to include seven times that Jesus said, I am something. I am something. Now, I don't want to spend time on, even though I spent an extraordinary amount of time studying this, I don't want to spend a lot of time this morning on the fact that when Jesus says, ego emi, I am, he's equating himself to God. Now, that is true, and there are times in John when that's all he says, ego emi, I am. 
When he says it like that, that's when he's equating himself with the name of God and that he is God. In this, he is saying something about who he is. So the focus this morning needs to be and should be and need, it has to be on what he said he is, not the fact that he said, I am. So I don't want to spend time on that. I know some of you know that about this statement and those types of things. And at the end of this series, I think we'll spend some time on that, on those places where he just said, I am. But this morning and the next several weeks, I want to look at what he said he is. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, is therefore triune and equal with God, and he said in his own words, this is who I am, that's a pretty important statement for someone to make. Something that we probably should take a little bit of time to look at and say, well, you know, you hear this often. I just want to know who God is. What's God really like? What, what, how does God think? What does God feel? What is, what, how is he? Jesus told us. He gave us that example. And he literally said, I am this. And in the Gospel of John, he said that seven times. Uh, and we're going to look at all of those. But as we look at this this morning... Context is always key. Context is crucial. Where, where are we in the journey of Jesus this morning when he says, I'm the bread of life? Well, it's, it's, no, it's, no, it's no coincidence that Jesus is making this statement about himself because of what has just taken place. If you back up a little bit in John's gospel, Jesus has recently, just within a couple of days, fed the 5,000. 5,000 people show up. 5,000 men show up, not including women and children. So most scholars say probably more like 20,000 people. Jesus feeds 20,000 people out in the country with nothing but five loaves of bread and two fish. It's an amazing miracle. I mean, an absolutely mind-blowing miracle. It's so crazy that we just gloss over how crazy it is. We gloss over how amazing it is that Jesus, we, we, I mean, I've heard that story so many times in my life. It's like, yeah, Jesus took the two fish and the five bread and fed 20,000 people and had 12 baskets left over. Like, no big deal. You know, because I've seen that done before. Never. <laughs> you know, I mean, I saw a lot of kids get fed last night at after prom, but, you know, all the food was there. We didn't multiply it there. That would have been cool if we could have done that. Jesus fed about 20,000 people, 5,000 men. And, uh, and then... Because he knows what they're about to do, because there's no mistake in their mind what this miracle is equating with, which we'll get to here in just a second. Jesus realizes, uh-oh, they're fixing to try to do something that I'm not here to do. So he, get, he gets away from them, he gets away by himself real quick. And then his disciples don't know where he is, and they get in a boat, and they go to the other side of the sea. They're on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to go back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where they, where they spent Galilee where they spent a lot of time at Capernaum. But Jesus wasn't with them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus was with them because he's walking on water, coming at them. Another miracle of Jesus that we talk about, we hear about, if you've been raised in church and gone through Sunday school and all that, it's like, yeah, Jesus walked on water. Again, because, you know, I've done that. You've seen that, haven't you, John? I've seen people walk. No, I've never seen someone walk on water. I remember when I was a kid, I used to do the, like to do the diving board trick where you go off the diving board and you run as fast as you can. Anybody ever done that? I'm not the only one. Come on. Okay. You run, and it feels like you're walking on water, but you're really not. Jesus was walking on water. It's crazy. And, and, and so he's just done these two things, and these are all within about a day, two days from where we pick up this morning. 
So this is all fresh on people's minds. Fresh on people's minds. So the people uh, that were at the feeding are looking around for Jesus. They don't see him. They see the disciples get in the boats and go to the other side, but they don't see Jesus get in. And so there, some other boats come along from Tiberias, and they get in these boats, and they go across the sea because they're trying to find Jesus. They want to know what's going on. They know Jesus didn't get on the boat and go to the other side, but when they get to Capernaum on the other side, he's there. My first question would have been, how'd you get here? Not the first thing they ask, but that's what would have been what I would have asked. And they ask, Rabbi, when did you get here? I wouldn't have asked when. I would have said, how? Do you like fly? Are you Superman? I don't know. So that's where we're at. Feeds the 5,000, walks on water. They say, how'd you get here? Or, when did you get here? Excuse me. And then Jesus answered them, I assure you. <laughs> it always blows my mind how he answers stuff. You were looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Jesus says, you guys got in those boats and you came across this sea looking for me because you want some goodies. You got some goodies back there, and you want some more goodies. You want some more stuff. You don't want me. You want some more free stuff, is what Jesus says to him here. And then verse 27, continuing, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. Remember, he's just fed them with bread and fish. This is all fresh in their mind. Don't, don't work for food that perishes, but food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. His favorite moniker of himself, Son of Man. Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him, him being himself, him being Jesus, him being the Son of Man. He says, hey, ah, here you guys get in a boat and come across the sea to find me because you want more bread. You're hungry again, which I can certainly identify with. But Jesus says, stop wasting your life toiling about for only the physical do what it takes to be nourished spiritually is what jesus is telling them and it goes right over the top of their heads they completely miss it and i love our completed canon having superiority filling selves when we see stuff like that in scripture and we're like those dummies how do they not get it that's the way I do it sometimes. I don't know. Maybe you guys are more spiritual than I am. But I read that stuff and I'm like, yeah, well, we have the advantage of being on the other side of the resurrection. They didn't have that advantage. So we need to go easy on them just a little bit. It says you need to be nourished spiritually. Verse 29, Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. He's told them they need to work they need to not work only for physical things. And so their question is, what do we got to do to get that kind of bread then? What do we got to do to get what you're, what work do we have to do to get what you're talking about? Which is always the human response to a graceful, loving, gift-giving God. How do I justify myself before you, God? What work do I have to do? There's got to be something I have to do in order for you to love me. We just can't wrap our minds around the fact that God the Creator, God the Father, truly made us and loves us for that reason and that reason alone. It's really hard to understand that. Jesus says, this is the work of God. You want to know what the work is? You believe. 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 
Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in me. He's trying to get them to understand. The only, quote, work is faith. That's the only work you have to do. To believe, to trust, to have confidence in. To have me inside you, Jesus is trying to get them to understand. So then verse 30, they say, well, what sign then are you going to do so that we may believe you? Think about the context of what have just t- taken place. Within a day, within a day of what Jesus has just done. So what are you going to do before? Like, do a little trick, dude, and then maybe we'll believe in you. And they say, oh, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. That's in verse 30 and verse 31. <clears throat> they want a sign. They're like, all right, you want us to believe? Well, we know you fed 5,000 men and other women and children the other day. But Moses, this is the insinuation of what they're saying. But Moses fed the whole nation. So, you know, your little trick on the side of the hill, not quite as good as Moses. You, you, you want us to believe in you? Do something Moses did. Be as big as Moses. Be better than Moses. Or we'll just stick with Moses. Are you as good as him? They quote scripture at him. That. That part is hilarious to me, that, that these, these Jewish people quote the Word of God to the living Word of God. That's funny. Psalm 28, 24, he rained, manna from, he rained manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. That's the quote that they're giving there at the end of that verse. Jesus says, okay. Jesus said to them in verse 32, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now that's a lot right there, church. That's a whole lot of stuff Jesus is saying right there. First he's saying, y'all are getting it backwards again. You're praising Moses for the manna. Moses didn't do it. God did it. Y'all complained to Moses, and Moses prayed to me, but he didn't do it. You're praising the wrong person. Your object of faith, your object of trust, your praise and your worship is going to the wrong person. It's not about Moses. It's about the Father. The Father did it. My Father gives you the real bread from heaven. Think about this. About 1,400 years, 1,500 years before Jesus is when all that's taking place with Moses and the Israelites and leaving Egypt and wandering around and all that stuff. About 1,500 years. 1,500 years before Jesus is on the planet walking, the Israelites get a picture of what is to come. The bread of life from heaven that sustains them. For 40 years in the desert, but the, bread of, the true bread of life that comes from heaven sustains us forever. It blows my mind how interconnected the Word of God is. It blows my mind sometimes. He says, my Father does this, and I love this. This is key right here, verse 33, the part I have highlighted there. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the Jews. Is that what it says? Gives life to the Israel? Give, gives life to who? The world. Guess who that is? Yeah, baby, that's you and me. We get included. That's big. I'm glad he threw that part in there. I'm glad it wasn't just for a certain sect of people. 
So what do they say? Hey, hey, well, give us that bread all the time. I mean, that bread you gave us back on the other side. See, that was cool, but give us that bread you're talking about. Whatever that bread is, that's the bread we want. Do a trick. Give us that bread. Now we're talking. That's the bread we want. See, they're stuck in the physical. They're stuck in the physical. They're aware, they are where most churchgoers stay. That's where these people are. Most churchgoers stay right here where they are. They're stuck in the physical. And I say churchgoers and not Jesus followers on purpose because they're not the same thing. They should be, but they're not. Churchgoers are in it for the physical bread. Churchgoers come to church for what they can get out of it. And that's it. I want to show up so Jesus can do a trick and give me something. I want to do just enough to appear like I'm doing something that maybe I can get some fringe benefits of this Jesus thing. They're just in it for the physical. Churchgoers, they just go to church for the business connections. Think that's not real? I, I know 100% of a person that came to this church so they could get a job, and that's it. Got the job, ain't seen them since. Churchgoers go to church to find friends. Should you have friends at church? Yeah. Should that be a place where you desire to have friends? Absolutely. But it shouldn't be the only reason that you're coming. Churchgoers go to church because of a certain style of worship or a certain style of preaching that they like. When that changes, they're out. Churchgoers go to church because so-and-so goes there. Or churchgoers go to church because so-and-so doesn't go there. Yeah. Don't be picturing somebody. Come on. Give us this bread, Jesus. Give us this bread. Give me what I want. Give me what I want, Jesus. He's a little bit bigger than that, church. Give us, just give us the stuff that blesses our physical life here and now. And I'm not downplaying how difficult this physical life is by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not. I know that there are things we need to survive in this world. And I know that the things that we go through in this world are so unbearably difficult sometimes that you, that you do like some of the Old Testament saints did and you wish for death. Lord, just take me home. Can't take it anymore. I'm not downplaying the difficulties of physical life. I'm just saying there's more to it than that. And that's what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. So that is what has led up to where we picked up today in verse 35. I am the bread of life. Jesus, give us that stuff. Give me that trick. Give me that. Give me that present. Give me that thing. Give me that bread. He says, I am that bread, dummy. Okay, that's not in there. That's not, that's not in the Greek either. That's not in the Greek either. That's in my translation. I wouldn't have been near as patient as he was. Y'all better, better be glad I'm not Jesus. I'm telling you right now. It'd be different. It'd be, it'd be worse, but it'd be different. I am the bread of life, he says. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Two things that we deal with on a daily basis, hunger and thirst. We're always in physical need of those things. And Jesus is saying that if you take me in spiritually, I'll fix that desire that you actually need fulfilled. 
the one that will actually satisfy you forever. Sounds cool. Sounds good to me. It says, come and believe. This is your work. But it's not a work. <laughs> Let me be clear about that. This is your work. In other words, there, there isn't any work on your part to receive this. Only open your mouth to receive the bread that he's passing out. I will satisfy your longing. Let, let me go down into your insides. Take me into the heart of who you are. Trust me is what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. And it's the same thing he's still trying to get us to understand. Take me into the core of who you are. Take me past right here. And take me past right here. Whew. But as I told you, you've seen me. You don't believe. I just fed 20,000 people with two loaves, two, two fish and five loaves. Y'all still don't believe. You think if I do a dance now, you're going to believe? Some people, church, just aren't going to believe. They just aren't. That's heartbreaking. That is a tough reality. But some people just do not want Jesus. They just don't. It's a shame. I don't want to live without him. I can't imagine it anymore. I just can't. I can't. Verse 37, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Now, that's good news right there now. That's good news, because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure we got some knuckleheads up in here with a capital K, when the, and the number one knucklehead being standing right here. <laughs> never. A little, a, little too, a little too much enthusiasm in that amen, I'm just saying <laughs> he says, hey, not everybody's going to come. Not everybody's going to believe. But those who do, those who do come to him and believe, he will keep them for all eternity. God the Father gives these, those who will come, to God the Son, and he keeps them forever. So is it God's will or is it your will? Yeah. Exactly. It is. Both. At the same time. Explain that, preacher. We've got all of eternity to figure that out. Okay? I'm not going to get that figured out today. But it's both. Both and. Yes and. Yes. For I have come down from heaven not to do the, my will. Man, think about what Jesus is saying here. But the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. What is God's will? I just want to know God's will for my life. What is God's will for my life? What job does he want me to take? Who does he want me to marry? I'm not downplaying those things. They're big decisions. Make them with God's input. Make them with God's word implanted in your heart. Make, them wi make wise decisions when it comes to that. But ultimately, what is God's will? What is God the Father's will? That I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. That's God's will. Ultimately, his will is that the Son is glorified. Ultimately, his will is that his people, that he has called, that he has wooed to him, that he has drawn to them, that he keeps them forever. That he expresses his glory and his majesty and his power forever through those who, who he has brought to them that come and believe that he really is this good. 
That, that really is who God is. Regardless of physical circumstance, God really is this good. That he get, has given them to me that I will not lose them. And even though they die, yet shall they live. That's God's will. The Father's will is for the Son to keep those he gives to him. He will keep them all and raise them up to glory on the last day. What is the last day? That's when this age of sin and death and Satan and suffering and tears and sickness and all the junk that makes this life so hard, that's when it's over. Then he's going to raise us up. That's good stuff. Amen. Go on to preach, preacher. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father. He's like, I know you guys. So it takes two, three, four, five times. He says it again. Very next verse. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. He explains it further, making sure that his point is made. I'm going to keep every single person that looks upon me and believes in me. That's not physically look upon him. That means to to desire him, that, that wants him, that trusts him, that believes in him, that has faith in him has trust in him, has hope in him, has confidence in him. We say it a million words in English. It all means the same thing. Faith, believe. I'm going to keep them all, and I will raise them up. So then the Jews, as they tend to do, go, who's this dude? Who does this guy think he is? Who does he think he is? He just said he came from heaven. Only one thing can come from heaven, and that's God. Who does he think? Isn't this that measly carpenter's son, Joseph? Isn't this Mary's boy? Who does he think he is? Where does he get off saying he's from heaven? What in the world are we listening to? Dude thinks because he does a polar trick with bread and fish that now he's God? Yeah, actually. See, this is, this, is, this is where it's a good thing for them that I, I'm not Jesus. Because i got a little more sarcasm up inside of me than Jesus does. And that's not a good thing, it's just it's a thing thing. If I were Jesus, which thankfully I'm not. You wasted that amen earlier, you could have used it right there. If I were Jesus, I'd be like, well, when they were like, who's this dude? I'd be like, well, <clears throat> so far... I'm the guy that turned water into wine at the wedding at my mom's request. I'm the one who healed the royal officer's son with my words. I didn't even go see him. I didn't even go touch him. I didn't even go talk to him. I just saw his dad's faith and said, he's, he's good. He's good. He's not dying. He's, sick. he's, he's healed now. He's good. I, I'm the guy who healed the, healed the sick and the blind and the lame and the paralyzed. You know, just a couple chapters ago, I said, pick up your mat and walk. And the dude that couldn't walk his whole life got up and walked. And that, I'm that guy. Oh, and I did it on the Sabbath just to ruffle your feathers and show you that I'm Lord over the Sabbath too. I'm the guy that one day ago fed the 5,000 men and who knows how many more people, including the women and the children, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And I walked on the water to my disciples. I'm that dude. I'm him. That's me. That's what... That's what I would have said if I was Jesus. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He just said, hey, stop complaining. 
Stop complaining. None of you, none of you has a chance to know me if it wasn't for God's will. If God weren't drawing you to me, practically dragging you to me is the implication of the Greek. He's practically dragging you to me by his grace. If he weren't doing that, you have no chance. You wouldn't choose me. You wouldn't pick me. I'm telling you guys, if you'll listen, you want manna. Well, your fathers ate manna, and they died. It's not about your physical needs. It's about your spiritual needs. I'm the bread of life. That's what he says. Verse 50, and he says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Whoa. <laughs> it takes a weird turn right there. What do you do to bread? What do you do to bread? You eat it. What do you not do to flesh? I don't need, I don't need human flesh. You weirdos may. That's weird to me. He says, that's the bread. The bread is my flesh. Woo. That, the bread is... The bread's your flesh, Jesus? What in the world? If they weren't confused or, or not understanding, they were definitely like, what? It didn't make sense to them. It didn't seem right. And it certainly seemed hard. Like, is he being literal? What does he mean here? On that side of the resurrection, none of it made sense. Remember, we talked the last two weeks how important that is, the cross and the resurrection. After that, it's like, oh, yeah, here's what he meant. They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's weird and illegal by the, Le Le the Levitical law. That's it. What is he talking about? Jesus says to them, as they're thinking these things and murmuring, I assure you, unless, he doubles down, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. I heard a preacher say one time, this is how you know Jesus didn't, and in cahoots with the modern church growth strategy people, because none of them talk about stuff like this. None of them say, hey, preacher, get up there and talk about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. It's like, no, tickle their ears and tell them stuff that makes them feel good about themselves. That's how you can grow a church that doesn't do anything worth the flip. Oh, sorry. I wasn't in the notes. That was a little, little rabbit there. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. He keeps saying it over and over and over and over again. Because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now, I'm not bashing here. I'm just, I'm just informing and teaching. This is where the Catholic Church and others, but especially the Catholic Church, are in error, I believe. The Catholic Church and other churches teach that the taking of the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion must happen for someone to be saved. It's called transubstantiation, okay? Which is a fancy word you have to learn to get a seminary degree. But all it means is that Jesus is, that, that the bread literally becomes Jesus' body and the cup literally becomes his blood. They believe that you literally drink the blood of Christ and that you literally eat his blood in the Eucharist. And if you haven't done that, then you are not saved. I, I think this is an error for, for, for many reasons. One, and probably the most important one, is that would be a work that must be done 
for salvation, and salvation comes through faith, and faith alone, because God's Word is very clear about that. So that would be the first reason why. But secondly, Jesus didn't even implement the ordinance of the Lord's Supper until a year later. A year after he said this, then he said, this is the cup, this is my blood. That's when he did that. So all the people that didn't know that, they just don't get saved? That doesn't make any sense. So all the people that had looked upon him and believed in him up to that point but didn't get the chance to take up the Lord's Supper, they don't, oh, sorry, you missed it, technicality, sorry. You know, I don't think that's the way God works, thankfully. And it's a different word. This word here he uses for flesh is a different word than the word he uses in the Lord's Supper. This is flesh, sarks. He uses the word soma, body. Different things mean different things. He's saying different things. So, this is obviously, and I say obviously because we're on this side of the cross and the resurrection. This is obviously Jesus, Jesus saying that his sacrificial death is the substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world. A doctrine that many of us know well, believe, proclaim, and is settled on. But it's not something that is settled for the world, unfortunately. He says, and unless you, unless you come and hear and see and believe and take this truth that I died for you and rose again, unless you take this truth down inside of you, believe it deep in who you are, trust this, unless you do that, then you do not have life in him. Hmm. But if it is, if this is your faith, then you have eternal life. Because he is the bread of life. And that's what he means by that statement. It's a huge statement. He is the substance. He is the gift. The necessity to defeat sin and give the gift of eternal life. The question for today is what are you going to do with Jesus' words about himself? What are you individually going to do with Jesus' words about himself? Are you going to believe and therefore live eternally for him? Or are you going to say what many said on that, on that day? When Jesus made these comments on that day, what did many of them say? It's too hard. Who can do this? Who can be persecuted for Jesus' name? Who can go through the things that you have to go through in this life? It's too hard. Can't do it. It's too hard. From that moment on, a bunch of people that said they were disciples, they popped smoke. They were out. Too hard. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Nope. I don't, sorry, Jesus. I only wanted to be a churchgoer. Sorry, man. I'm just here for the fringe benefits. I didn't, actually, I didn't actually want to have to give up anything. I didn't actually want to have to deny myself. No. 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 The world tells me I can have whatever I want. The world tells me I can be whatever I want, that I can believe whatever I want, that I can think whatever I want, that I can say whatever I want is true. The world tells me that, not to deny myself, the world tells me it's me, me, and me. I love me some me. So, I'm not real big on this stuff, Jesus. I mean, I just wanted to show up and have a little Jesus on the side. Hear this. A little Jesus on the side is zero Jesus on the inside. And that's the only place it matters. You can fake it all you want. You ain't fooling the God of heaven and earth. You ain't doing it. You either believe and trust in him 
and are willing to die for that truth, but more importantly, willing to live for that truth, or you don't. So, if you're here this morning and you never have placed your faith in the living bread, today would be a great day to do that, right here in just a minute. For those of us that have, we'll remind you of this truth and we're done. Back to verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Do not forget this truth, church. Do not forget this truth. He will lose none of those that the Father has given him. And all those who come to him and believe are the ones the Father has given him. It's going to get hard. It's going to get hard. It may already be hard. I had a hard day yesterday. I ain't gonna lie. I literally said out loud to God, it's just too hard. Literally. But he's still holding on to me. He's still going to hold on to you. It is worth it. Even though it doesn't always feel like it in these sinful, wretched bodies. It is worth it. He is worth it. Keep trusting in that. Keep trusting in that. Keep trusting in that. It's worth it. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. May your spirit move and your people obey whatever you're prompting them towards in this moment, God. We thank you and we love you. Lord, we, may we praise you and worship you well with our lives, Lord. Thank you that you do not lose any one of us that has been given to you, God. Thank you for that truth. May we rest in that today. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.